Welcome to this week's episode of Church Unscripted. Um, we're really excited you're here with us. And if you can hit the subscribe button, we know some of you aren't subscribed, or the notification bell or the like if you like this video, um, that would be great. I've got Pastor Eric and Pastor David with me. Um, I'm a little bit excited to hear what your summary of the sermon was this week because we're talking about the mission of the church, you know, the greater mission. And so can you kind of give us the, the snippet so everyone that maybe wasn't with us or maybe they just heard part of the sermon um, so they would know to catch up? Absolutely. So this this really launched our vision series. So for the last several years, we have uh, used the month of August to focus in on our vision all the weekends. And it's been, I think, proven to be helpful to uh, let vision land into people's lives more than simply like an off-cut Sunday, right? And so this kind of launched a series of conversations. But what I did is I started in Luke chapter nine and I focused in on just the first two verses and I discovered there's a lot in there. And it's when Jesus sends out, first of all, his apostles. And then in chapter 10, he sends out his, the other disciples, the seven, two others, which I think more applies to us. And then that leads into one of the most uh, popular verses that churches like to use in verse two. It's, it's the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out his workers into the harvest field. And so if we have that idea, the question is, how do we kind of reverse engineer it and, and figure out how do we actually do that well? Because a lot of us get frustrated about, you know, we're trying the best we can to evangelize and reach people and serve people, but what's the actual effect? And if we go back into chapter nine, we discover that Jesus uh, gives his apostles something of what I believe is a four-step process um, that leads to the actual sending. The first one is you've got to be called to a person, which is Jesus. He's the one that gets to decide uh, what your sending looks like, what kind of power that you have, well, how do you use it? And once you're called to, the, to Jesus, then he gives you his power. He says, I give you all power. He gave them power and authority. And then he gives you purpose uh, to drive out demons, cure all diseases. And then after all that, that's when he sends them. So it starts with the person is then it goes to the power and then the purpose and then the actual place that he's going to send you to. So that was the shortest sermon I've ever heard you do, Eric. No, we, right there. <laughs> that was awesome. I was like, wow. Are you suggesting that I do that on Sundays? No, too? I'm like, saying, man. five-minute summary. That was it. a sermonette. Let's do it again. <laughs> okay. no, I, just, I love that. So, so some of the things that you talked about on, yeah. on Sunday was related to purpose. And I think we all have something to offer in this discussion because um, we're all trying to figure out some of that purpose. And we go through life trying to get in that direction of, okay, God's given me a purpose. What is it? And then if we find what it is, we discover that treasure that God's given us, then it's like, okay, what do we do with this, right? And so you started by saying something early on in your sermon when you said, you're not ready for the place until you understand the purpose. So like some people feel like they're already sent. They're one step ahead. They're doing the sending before they have that purpose. And so what would you both say to someone that doesn't understand that they do have purpose? Maybe they're skipping that step. They're like, oh, I've been sent to this community but I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, right? I mean, like, yeah. what am I going to do? I think, I think we can easily latch on to other people's purpose and think that it's our own. Mm. And so we have perhaps hear someone's excitement of what they're doing in a certain place. We're like, hey, I'll go there, I'll join you. And, and so you get there and you do what they're doing, but, um, but it might not actually be your purpose. And so it might not be as effective as what the other person is doing. So I think we have to be clear that we can go to places and do things but it might not be exactly the purpose God has for us. And I think that can be a little, not really a trap, but I think a little bit of a confusion that, that we can fall into. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I was thinking even uh, like growing up in the church, like I think it's harder to 
discover your purpose maybe because mm -hmm. i know for me like i my whole life has been more or less with jesus and so like to i think for a lot of people that have a a a story worth telling nah everybody's stories worth telling but I think you can discover. Are you talking about in youth group when you want to say that you were a heroin addict for yeah, ten years? Right, that kind of yeah, story. Yeah. Yeah. Group, okay. Yeah. yeah. Geez, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of um, youth group did you go? Yeah. Oh my <laughs> Ten years of heroin addiction at fourteen. Yeah, no, I'm just okay. kidding. <laughs> uh, but I think there's in in kind of go, walking through hard things, you discover your purpose, right? And so mm -hmm. I think for me, I've always struggled with what is my purpose and how do I find that from because I feel like my purpose has always been to be in the church because that's what I was raised in. Um, and so I think a lot of it is just um, pursuing Christ in, in, in waiting and understanding what your purpose is. Because I felt, I felt called to a ministry when I was 13, but I didn't really understand the place or really the purpose. And I wouldn't say until maybe even five or 10 years ago that I started to actually understand the purpose of where he was calling me. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So I would just encourage people to just wait on the mm -hmm. Lord and also don't try to steal somebody else's purpose in the meantime. Because yeah. I think that's well, why, I sure. mean, a lot of times you go to a concert, you know, and they have the compassion sponsor a child. Uh -huh. I mean, some of us may be sponsoring 30 kids because we're like, oh, I'm so passionate about it. Uh -huh. But then it's like, it's just, it's good to sponsor kids, but it's also like it may be an obligation or a thing that was like, oh, well, they're really passionate about it. So I should, I don't really have a purpose. So maybe if I sponsor this kid, then I'll find my purpose. So, so whatever that is. There, mm -hmm. there might be something deeper there that you guys just opened up. Okay. So, uh, how much is purpose tied to faith? I didn't even, I, I write down questions usually. I prepare mentally. I listen to the sermon, but this is just something I'm thinking of as you're saying is, you know, kids, we grow up and they take on their parents' faith sometimes, right? And we see disastrous results of that because their faith is not their own. So later they shipwreck their faith, let's say. And so how is that, how much is that tied to purpose? Because some of us aren't like actively seeking our own personal growth, right? I mean, let's be honest, the average person is like kind of going yeah. through life and there's not a lot of yeah, that's a direction. Great question. And so, so yeah. how do we, how do we mm -hmm. actually find our own purpose? Mm -hmm. that, I love that question. It, it's taken me, I think too many years to finally get a little bit of a bead on how to answer that question. But as I read scripture, I, I think that there's something of a, of a, a narrowing effect um, of your purpose, the closer you get to Jesus. For example, for example, when, when students are in college, professors will tell you that they get asked the question all the time from students, you know, what's God's will for my life, right? Mm -hmm. And usually they're asking that question related to their degree program or the career. So that question is based primarily on a confusion about future career, right? Mm -hmm. But then as you get older, you begin to realize the, the shortness of life. And you say, you know what, for how many more years I have left on life, especially if you have a health crisis or something like that, you realize, man, I'm mortal. Now all of a sudden you're not asking a question about call or career or job. You're asking a question about value. So what is the thing that God has for me that's gonna have the most impact for his kingdom before I leave this world? And so when I thought of it that way, I realized there's actually a process through scripture that the closer you get to Jesus, the more narrow and more clear and more effective his purpose is for you. For example, um, 
Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, mm-hmm. pleasing, and perfect will. So for a college student who's asking, what's God's will for my life? My answer is, don't worry about that right now. Um, just don't tra- conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so keep your eyes on Jesus. That's your purpose right now. And then later on, he can narrow it down. For example, for me, it was, I think I'm gonna call you to a career in ministry, right? And then he narrowed it down even more. I'm gonna call you specifically to focus on preaching and leadership. And I think the older I get, the closer I am to Jesus, he makes more clear how the, where the maximum impact for the kingdom is going to be for me specifically. Um, so, does that so, make sense? Yeah, totally. And I, so I would say what's formative, and David, I want you to, entered the conversation about this because I think we could talk about this for a little bit is I I think the two experiences that have formed that purpose in me are the positive, like extremely positive and the extremely negative. Mm. So the the painful experiences Mm. are moments where I had to call on Jesus and be like, God, what are you doing? Mm. I need your help. Like that moment of the deepest humility a human possibly could have. And then the other end of things where it's, where it's like, okay, someone's affirming something that I'm doing. It's positive. God's redirecting me towards that direction because of this affirmation. Um, So I would say in those two experiences, um, many times as Christians, we misinterpret those and we don't get to our purpose because sometimes uh, the most uh, affirmational people is just flattery, right? And then on the other hand of things, the sometimes the most painful experiences, we turn and we say, well, what did I do to sin to have this happen? And no, God's just using this painful experience to redirect us and he disciplines those he loves. He loves us in this mm. even more potentially than when things are just like, eh, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so those two experiences. So how do we as Christians like long for that growth <laughs> and long for that purpose, but also like realize that it's gonna come with a cost? In both ways, there's a cost. I think it's always better in hindsight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I mean, as you were talking, um, I felt the call to worship ministry when I was 13. And uh, I felt that God had a plan for my life to lead worship and to do all these things. And um, I started leading in my youth group. I, people started affirming that in me saying, you know, you, you have the ability, God has called you to do this, go do it. All these things, went off to college, picked a school um, and had a specific path in mind um, to lead worship. And the school had a touring worship band and uh, there's hundreds of students that try out for it and they narrow it down to 60, they have four teams. And my, I thought my purpose, my calling to lead worship was that touring team. All, from middle school all the way through to my freshman year of college. I was like, that is the thing that's going to get me to the next thing in my calling. I, I went to the tryout, uh, made the callbacks, which is a big deal because you're going from, you know, five, 600 students to about 150. Then from 150, they narrow it down to 60. And so I make the callback and I totally was uh, terrible. I botched the, the callback audition. I recognized how much I didn't actually know and I didn't make the team. And that was my first week freshman year of college. My and you're like, entire, what do I do? Yeah, <laughs> and I was ready to go home. 
like legitimately because I thought that was the purpose. Um, but was that, was that painful? It was extremely painful. I walked by that, that list three times just to make sure I didn't miss my name. And I would wait, people would disappear and I'd go back and I'd look at it and I'm like, name's not on the list. And, and so there was pain, there was hurt. And I'm like, what do I do? I thought this was my calling. Like what, you know? And in that, I actually met a worship pastor from a local church and was able to actually start serving in the church. And then I realized like, oh, I think this is what I was called for. And I began to serve in the church and I was missing out on some of the touring opportunities, but I don't think that's ever what God wanted for me. And I began to discover my purpose through some of that pain and all throughout that. I mean, up until Brookside three and a half years ago, I had not been in a position of worship leadership. I would lead worship, but I was not in that position that I had felt called to. And so there was this, I mean, it was over 10 years of kind of bouncing around trying to find where, where, and there's a lot of pain, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of hurt, but I would just, I would encourage people to just stick with it. Like if, if the thing, like you said on Sunday, the thing that you feel the smile of God on you when you do it, there's a pretty good chance that's your purpose. And so continue to be faithful to that purpose, even if you don't quite know the place yet. And there's going to be ups and downs, but hindsight, it's, but you, it's but the you, hand of God. But didn't you, didn't you need that to get to where you're at? Yeah, I would not be. Do you see what I'm saying? I would not like, be the person oh yeah. in well, the place right. that I am today without that. Mm-hmm. I think, I think if, if we try to nail God's patterns down to a certain like formula, we often get ourselves in trouble. However, you can spot certain behaviors that he has that can help us understand the way he leads us into our purpose. Uh, there's precedent, I think, for cases in scripture where, where there was confusion about purpose or even resistance to purpose. Wait, until, are you talking about Jonah? Uh, Jonah is a great example. <laughs> I mean, Moses is another one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, if you even Saul that would become Paul, even King David, uh, th- there was resistance or confusion on purpose until God allowed or led them into a point of pain or crisis that then fully brought them into their purpose. I mean, for Moses, I mean, he said, I can't go back to Egypt and talk to Pharaoh. I stutter. And I'm, I mean, I can't go back there until God all of a sudden shows up in a burning bush, freaks him out and says, you're my guy, you're gonna do this. And all of a sudden he's got all the confidence in the world. Jonah had to get swallowed by a fish, had to have a mental infantile breakdown uh, in front of God. And God says, who do you think you are, man? You care about this little plant withering in front of you and you don't care about an entire nation going to hell? And so it was, a, it was a spiritual point of pain until it finally clicked, here's my purpose. But here's the thing, what God wants us to do is not just to get to a place where we know our purpose, it's where we understand and embrace the heart of God in that purpose. So mm-hmm. Jonah could have articulated, here's God's purpose for my life. I'm gonna go to Nineveh, I'm gonna preach in 40 days, God's gonna destroy your city. And all the while he's doing his purpose, his heart is a mile away from the heart of God. So. I think it's a two-part process in a sense where he uses points of pain, he uses mm-hmm. experiences, affirmations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to lead us to understand our purpose. Mm-hmm. But, but until we have the heart of God, I don't think he's ready to release us into that purpose because mm-hmm. we'll botch it all up yeah. and we'll misrepresent his, his heart and mind in that scenario. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think we have the perfect example in our savior. Think about it. He started ministry at 30. Mm-hmm had a ministry for three years, basically. 
And sometimes I, I hear a lot of people that have some type of ministry, whether it's vocational or otherwise, like just in the church. And they're like, oh, it's taken so long to do this. And I think, I'm like, God was preparing your heart and your soul and don't be like Jonah and, and bring that, that heart condition that we have, like, oh, it took so long into this. Um, you, you pivoted a little bit from purpose and you talked about power as well. So um, there's a very simple question I have, but I feel like it's a difficult answer. So how do we live with purpose and know his power? And when I say no, I mean relationally know his power. Um, it seems to be a roadblock with Christians because once we find out our purpose, um, a lot of times we live, I would, I would argue in the flesh or egos. Yeah. Right. Like this is what I want to do. I remember leaving seminary. I'm, I'm like, I'm a good writer. I'm going to write a million books. Right. And I leave and I've got this ego about it. And then God took me a completely different direction. Um, you know, you say things, you're like, I'm going to do this in 10 years. And then when it doesn't happen, we're devastated. But then when you actually look back, you realize like God had grace in your life. God loves you. God gave you a plan in that 10 years. Um, and as I age, I go, what am I doing with the next 10 years of my life? And where I want to be is different sometimes than where God wants to be. So back to the question, though, is living with purpose and knowing his power. So how are we doing it in his power rather than our own well, let me plan? Let me give you a story that hopefully, hopefully illustrates an answer to this. Uh, I had somebody tell me about uh, how when he was younger, this is years ago, um, he took his son, and at the time his son might have been like seven or eight years old, right? He took him to the store for his birthday, and he walked in and he said, son, whatever you see in here, that's yours for your birthday present, right? Now, at the time, money went far, much farther than it does now, right? So 10 bucks could buy a bunch, right? <laughs> so his son is so excited, runs around the store and says, I'm gonna get this, this is amazing. And his dad said, are you sure that's what you wanna get? And his son said, yeah, I mean, I like it. It's kind of expensive, but I think that's what I really want. And so his dad says, that's your present then. And so he bring it up to the register. I think they paid 50 bucks for this present that his son really, really wanted. What the son never knew is that his dad had $1,000 in his pocket and his son had the freedom and the power to buy anything in the store up to $1,000. And I think that's the way that we operate. Oh, I would be so frustrated. Oh, I if I was that, a right? kid, I'd be like, oh well, I mean, man. I mean, if you would get frustrated about that, how much more frustrating would it be for the day when we meet Jesus face to face if we realize that spiritually speaking, we use the equivalent of $50 when Jesus said, I got $1,000 worth of power when you, right? And I think that's the nature. So you not only have to be with, the son not only had to be with his dad, he had to know the extent and scope of his dad's resources. The only way you can do that is by a deep relationship. Mm. And so that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit so that his very presence lives inside of us. If you're not in tune with the Holy Spirit, that's why the New Testament is clear. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. You might have the Holy Spirit in you for salvation, right? As a guarantee, as a deposit guaranteeing your salvation. But if you're not in step with him, you have, have, you'll be clueless as to what kind of power and how much power he actually has available for you. And that's one of my fears that I'll leave this world realizing I used $50 worth of the Holy Spirit when there's $1,000 there waiting for me. And so that's, that's a concern I've got. What do you think? He answered it well. Okay. All right. <laughs> Answer done. <laughs> Illustration was great. It was kind of like your your sermonette earlier. Like, yeah, okay, that's yeah. a sermon right there. My second sermonette. I got uh, second, one more. Second sermonette. Third. Right. Third point. It's got to be an acrostic. That's you know, it. Like, okay. Yeah. Three points. Um, hmm. You you said towards the end of your sermon, you'll misuse power for the wrong yeah. purpose in the wrong place if you don't know the person who called you to it. 
um, I'm a little blurred on that. Like I listened to the sermon and I thought, okay, so what is he really getting at? So what does it mean for us based on that statement to seek to know Jesus in relationship rather than know of him? Because I mean, maybe that's the contrast you're trying to present is we know of Jesus and and we we are using the power he's given us in the wrong place with the wrong purpose. But what, is, what does that even mean? You know of him versus knowing him. And knowing him, I mean relationally. Like we use that word at knowledge, but it's really a relationship. Hmm. Right, right. Okay, we're so- looking at, We're looking so, at David. We're looking at David. <laughs> well, I don't want to put you on the spot because I got a, got a thought. How about you tag team on this thought, okay? Sure. So I believe that, that God, one of the ways that God not only calls us into, but empowers us to serve his purposes is, is with the Holy Spirit, but also expressed through some of the passions, mm. giftings, skills, and talents that we have, right? Wow. Um, and so I know that he, I know that you re- realize those things the more you mature and you grow older. However, if if I'm extraordinarily athletic, that ought to be an indication that God God is going to use an athletic platform, perhaps, uh, to accomplish His purposes. Mm. If I'm a great orator or a speaker, mm. which hopefully I'm becoming more of, that might be an indication that that that's the part of His purpose for me. So what I meant by that is. As I get older, it's not difficult to discover your skills, passions, talents, and giftings, right? Mm. But what it is difficult is to be able to listen to the one, Jesus, who called you to use those for his purpose, for his glory. So it's easy. I mean, I've also asked the question, how is it that you can be so skilled in something and we believe those skills are given to you by God and yet there's no glory to God as a result of the expression of those skills? And I think that's the difference. You can accomplish a lot based upon what God has yeah. already built mm-hmm. into you. But if you're not called by the one who gave you those gifts, so, so, you misuse them. So in some ways you're saying that you can be successful in the world's eyes. Absolutely. Or even sometimes in the church's eyes. Absolutely. But the reality is that true eternal success is elusive mm-hmm. to the person that's not using it that way. You're bringing glory to yourself mm-hmm. or to something else except for Jesus. It's interesting. I, I kind of took that as um, if, you, if you don't know the person who called you to it, because there, there's, well, so there's instances, right, when God calls us to do things that we're not skilled at and we're not gifted in, but that's the purpose. I mean, you mentioned Moses and he's like, I can't speak. How am I supposed to speak to, the, like, to Pharaoh? Like, um, and so I think that's the important, that's the most important reason to know the person is because you may think your purpose is in alignment with your skills and your talents. And it may be. And if people affirm that, like there's, I think there's a reason we have those things. God wants us to operate in them. But there may be moments in life where God says, I'm going to send you here. And you're like, well, (laughs) I don't know how to do that. And he'll give you that power Mm -hmm. and that purpose in that. And so I think that's why it's even more critical to know the person is because then you know, this is yeah. this is the voice of Jesus, yeah. and He's telling me to do this. Doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it. Well, that's why I've got mm-hmm. some issues sometimes with like spiritual gift tests, because they they list out all these spiritual gifts like hospitality, you know, so, those kind of. So things. your problem is it my problem? I think a yeah. spiritual gift test. When you say this is my lowest spiritual gift, it's an excuse to sin. Absolutely, and I think that's what you're getting at. It's <laughs> yeah. it's it's okay. On this test, I was ranked high in this area and in this gifting. Right, hospitality was way on the bottom. Yeah. However, 
just because I might not be gifted in hospitality, it doesn't mean when the opportunity to be hospitable comes up, then right. I can ignore it. Right. Simply because Jesus told me to be gener- generous and hospitable. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I think we have to be careful that even though it's not our skill set or a gift set, yep. that we can ignore what Jesus is calling us to because we're not good at it. And, and have you ever seen God use different gifts in your life at different times? Well, I certainly hope so. That's what, yeah. but what I, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying is, is those are a good assessment to figure out what you're actually good at. They're not a good assessment on what you actually should be used for your purpose, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So like, that's good. if you, if you took my personality test, spiritual gift test when I was 18 years old, and now 20 years later, you do it now, it's going to come up completely different. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that. Like, I know for a fact, are there certain ones that are very similar, mm-hmm. like in their, like where they are? Yeah. But the reality is God, God forms us and shapes us over time. Mm. And so some of the things that he's maturing us towards as we grow closer to Christ is some of those things where maybe our weakness becomes our strength because God says, hey, you're going to have to be a really merciful person or you're going to have to be really hospitable. Mm. And I'm going to give you a period where this is going to be really hard. And in doing that, it's going to grow you. Mm. Because I sometimes think the things that we're best at, um, we become lazy at. Mm-hmm. Let's say, oh, I'm, I, I'm a good speaker. I can preach. Well, I know I can do this in this amount of time, right? I'm not going to put a lot of time into it. No, that's not that what you would do that, but I'm just saying there is the like, oh, I'm, I'm really talking, good talking to people. So I'm not going to even think about this conversation that I need to have or this, this thing I need to do relationally. I'm just going to walk into it and wing it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think there is a balance of that though. And so really, really what we've been talking about the whole time is that intentionality mm-hmm of our relationship with Jesus and knowing the person. And so, so what it means for us and what you guys seem to be saying, I'm a, I'm a summarize and I want you guys to add is that we need to be focused on our relationship with Jesus and these other things sometimes that get in the way. Maybe it's even a spiritual gift test. I mean, I, I think we should know our spiritual gifts, but I think we should also realize that we need to express all of them, not just one of them. You know, it's yeah. the opportunity. Use the word opportunity as the opportunity yeah. comes. I, I completely agree. I think, I think the emphasis, at least at most, most for most of us, is not figure out what is exactly the, the thing I'm gifted at and not gifted at. I think the emphasis has to be whatever he calls you to do, whatever purpose you have before you to serve him, mm-hmm. you've got to have your intentionality and direction on Jesus. Because I, it might be... I'm nervous to say it, but I heard it one time and it's powerful. Um, Adolf Hitler is considered one of the best orators of the 20th century. And he could have used his skill to build- You're not nervous to say it, it's true. It's true. He could have used his speaking ability to build the kingdom of heaven. Instead, he used his speaking ability to build a Holocaust, right? And so you you can use your skill- if you keep your eyes off of Jesus to do whatever you want to. And we, we all have known people who have had massive platforms. And when they began, they used their gift in that platform to lead people to Jesus, to spread the gospel. But then they realized, hey, I'm really good at this. Mm. And all of a sudden it turns selfish and greedy. And now they use that skill to build their own pockets full of money. And, and we have seen the effect of that. Mm. And so as much, I mean, that's why Jesus starts with in verse one, uh, I called the disciples together mm. to me. So, I, so as you were saying that, I, I was thinking of an experience I had in my life where someone sat me down 
and I was sitting with someone way older than me that was mentoring me at 19. And he said, John, you have a gift with people and that gift can be chosen to go towards Jesus or take them away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, those of you watching, I'm gonna look right at the camera. If you have not had that conversation with someone else asking you that, or maybe, maybe you haven't had the conversation with yourself, maybe that's a question we need to ask each other and say, hey, where are you leading people to? Yeah. You know, are you leading people to more frustration, anger, like not fruit of the spirit? Are you leading them to the fruit of the spirit? Are you leading them to Jesus? And when I say leading them to Jesus, I'm not talking about vocal gospel presentation evangelism. I'm saying how you interact with people is people see Jesus in you. Like, and that's what's so important, I think. So when you say that, I look at the example of Adolf Hitler. He could have been the best preacher in the entire world, but he wasn't. You know, and there's other people that suffered. I mean, I think of Charles Spurgeon. He suffered most of his life with a bunch of health issues. And yet somehow he had a mega church before it was, you know, fancy, yeah, right? right? It was like before anybody and he would just preach. Yeah. Or you think of revivals in the US, like some of the people that did revivals, Jonathan Edwards, Wesley, like they just, some of them you hear things where they just like had the paper right in front of their face because they had bad eyesight and they would just read it. And people were like coming to Jesus. I think it's about it's about obedience to using your gift for God rather than yourself. Yeah. I mean, David, you're, you're nodding your head, but I, I, I feel like I'm just amen. And okay. Oh, amen. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's good. So you you came to the take it home, Eric, on Sunday, and you focused primarily on the calling because that's where where it's all worked out, where the power, the purpose, the person is worked out in the calling, right? Yep. And so you started by saying prayer is the catalyst for your calling. So I have a a question about that. How do we live in the tension of God not answering our prayers? David, you gave an example earlier Mm -hmm. where God didn't give it to you as quick as you wanted Mm -hmm. and gave you a redirection. Um, So how do we live in that tension? Or maybe we don't receive direction for our calling. for those of us maybe watching, like maybe you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and you're like, I still don't know what God's calling me to do. Yeah, that, that's a hard question. I want to let you answer. <laughs> I've, been, I've been talking too much, and I'm, I know your wheels are spinning uh, over no, you. No, I, I was just, I was reading the scripture that you tagged along with that, which is Acts 13, 1 through 2. Um, and I can't help but notice in that, in that passage, it says, um, these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Then the Holy Spirit said, um, I'm wondering if maybe we don't, pers- we, in our minds, we perceive that we're pursuing the purpose that God has for us, but we're actually missing it. Like we're not, um, we're not, we're not so fully reliant on him to give us the purpose that we're, so, so like cuz i mean so they're they're like, fasting and worshiping and they're just literally like uh we want an encounter with the holy spirit cuz this is i mean this is you know probably i don't know a little while after pentecost and everything they're like you know we want to experience that again and we're just going to wait and i think sometimes we can in our own pride and our own arrogance say well i'm going to step out and and pick my purpose because i prayed once and I didn't really feel any clarity. And so I think there's this dedication to prayer um, that I've been feeling stirred up in my heart um, that I think leads us to a, a better understanding of, of the heart of Jesus and then will then 
out of that place of that relationship with Jesus through scripture, prayer, um, then that will be the catalyst because it will be all clear. Like it says, it says the Holy Spirit sent them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's right. how, how much more well, clear could it be? And there's something, there's something in those verses that I think is very important too. It doesn't say they prayed for a specific purpose. It says they prayed for the Holy Spirit. So they prayed for God to move. They were open-handed. You know, you use yeah. this kind of motion and yeah. I kind of went like this. And I thought, sometimes I feel like we pray for purpose and it's not open-handed. It's like, God, this like, is, God, this is what I want. Take my purpose. Yeah. This, this is my purpose. I know what it is. <laughs> Give me the next step. <laughs> bless, this, right. bless the purpose. And yeah. so I, I do think there's some of that there. And I do think that's important mm-hmm. that we're more open-handed. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we pray for specific things without thinking, is this God's will? And so mm-hmm. may, may your will be done. You ever hear someone say, Lord willing, you know, mm-hmm. like older people tend to say mm-hmm. that they'll be like, Lord willing. And I always, at first I was like, Okay. Um, but then I started realizing, I'm like, it's not really a cop-out because they really want the Lord's will. That's why they're saying it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so that's kind of, mm-hmm. I think, what we missed. Eric, well, I mean, you some more now. In the Acts 13 passage, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head in that they were pursuing, whether through worship, fasting, or prayer, they were pursuing him. Yeah. Um, and they weren't even thinking about purpose. Right. All that happened is they were doing the things they did to pursue Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit showed up, not when they asked him to, but when he wanted to. Wow. And I think we can jump the gun a little bit too early to get to our purpose mm-hmm. uh, before the Holy Spirit's ready to send us to it. And my thought went to the Exodus story in the Old Testament where God called his people. He gave them their purpose. You ask the question, you know, why is it that we feel like we're living in a tension of we're praying for purpose, but we're not there yet? Yeah. Um, the phrase that we use is, is the promise of already, not yet. And yeah, so yeah. It's, it's God gave them the purpose. You're gonna get that promised land, but you just don't have it yet. Yeah. The promise is yours. It's just not in hand yet. And that's because they had to walk through a desert first. And in the desert process, they had to eradicate all of Egypt out of the people because in the promised land, there's no room for Egypt. Mm-hmm. And that's why it took 40 years for them to actually have in hand the promise mm. that was given to them 40 years prior to that. Wow. Um, and I think that might be one of the reasons, maybe not the only reason, but one of the reasons that God is perhaps delaying us experiencing the fullness of our purpose mm-hmm. is because he say, you know what? I've got a great purpose and promise for you, but you have a little bit too much Egypt left in you and there's no room in your purpose for Egypt. So that, that would be that's, a wow. hard pill to swallow uh, for people to really evaluate. Well, and, and that's thematic in all of scripture. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's this already not yet kingdom. Jesus is reigning on the throne on yeah. heaven next to the, the father yeah. and yet he's not here. Mm-hmm. And so he's the de facto, he's mm-hmm. really the king, yeah. but well, he's not yeah. reigning on earth yet. You know, like, well, it's, so, like the, <laughs> it's the same story, right? Like I, I, you know, you have your old Testament, which is the the prophecy and the promise of a Messiah. And the whole cry of the Old Testament is come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, Mm -hmm. more or less. Then you come to the New Testament and the Messiah finally comes. And then he's here, he does his thing and then he ascends to heaven. And now the continued cry is like, well, the promise returns. So it's the cry is still come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And I feel like in the promise, like we have to, have that heart posture of just be like, come Lord Jesus. Like whenever that promise is right, I will, I will be here ready to receive it, but I'm not just going to, I'm, I'm going to pursue you while I'm waiting. And I think honestly, that's, that's the best place for faith to thrive. And because if you think about the story of Israel, it's, it's in the places of the desert 
where they experienced some of the hardest things, but that's where they made the greatest commitments uh, to the Ten Commandments and to their God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where they established faith as the foundation of their entire society. When they stepped into the promised land, now they're in the land flowing with milk and honey. That's when things started to fall apart because now they don't need faith as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the desert, God had to provide everything for them. And, and so I think part of God's purpose for us is to never fully realize our purpose. Mm. It's in part to stay in seasons of the desert so that faith can thrive there and you realize your incredible dependency on the God to provide for you. Because my own experience is once you get a taste of success in your purpose, then all of a sudden you feel like, okay, I don't need as much uh, fervent faith anymore. And I think that's a place God wants to protect us from, but also a place that we need to go because we're never meant to, to live our entire spiritual life in a spiritual desert. So, so let's pivot a little bit. This has nothing to do with your sermon. You're all worried. The eyes got really big. But as you guys were talking, it made me think of one thing. There is that tension. We've talked about it. There is that sense of the place of greatest faith is the place we want to be. But yeah, usually that's the place we're avoiding because it's painful or it's difficult or there's something there that, that's, that's making it hard for us. So how do we find joy in that tension? Because I feel like there's a lot of Christians out there that don't have joy in pursuing their calling anymore because they're stuck in the process that you're describing. They still have a little bit of Egypt and God's like, I'm never taking that fully from you because there's a thorn in your side like Paul has. I'm not gonna take that from you because you need to know that you were still weak and in, mm-hmm. in, in our weakness, what does Paul say? He says, he is, he's strong in us. Mm-hmm. And so how do we still have joy in that? Because I know believers that have just completely given up and left the faith because of that one issue. I'm sorry, maybe that was too big. I just was thinking that, that the whole time you talked about calling. That sounds that, like a different unscripted podcast. Okay, no, see, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. It's very difficult and it seems way too simplistic. But if you read scripture, God always keeps his promises. And so perspective will help you have joy in pain. This is why I think David's most famous prayer that we often pray a lot includes the phrase, may the joy of the Lord be your strength, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the reason that's so powerful is because, because the things that we take joy in prior to having joy in the Lord are often a corrupted sense of joy. But once God gets us to a place where the only joy we have is in him because everything else has failed us and disappointed us, including our health, including our wealth, mm-hmm. including our careers, all of our friendships, all that stuff. Then all of a sudden we say, my joy is built on him. And then all of a sudden, all the other things that give us joy in life have significantly more value and meaning behind it because now it's all coming through the filter of the joy of the Lord. So I think, when, when God takes us through places of spiritual desert and we have our own spiritual exodus, mm. he gets us to a place where you can't rely on the three square meals a day that you enjoyed in Egypt. Mm. You can't rely on the roof over your head that you enjoyed in Egypt, right? I mean, that's what they complained. Back in Egypt, we had all this stuff. Yeah. In other words, our joy was based on the things that we had. Yeah. And then God takes you to a place um, on the way to your purpose where the only thing that you can joy in is God himself. Mm-hmm. So that when you get into the yeah. promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, now all of a sudden that milk and honey has significantly different meaning and value because God defined that joy for you. And, and 
not the things themselves. So, so you guys may not know this, but you know, there's this lady named Marie Kondo. Have you guys ever heard of Marie yes. Kondo? Where she's like the the tidy simplistic, yeah, yeah, tidy house. You get rid of stuff, and like if you don't find joy in something, you get rid of it, right? And I think maybe some Christians are really the, what their struggle is at this point is they're not finding their strength in the joy of the Lord. So they're just like, oh, I don't need this T-shirt. I don't need this. Mm. And because some of what comes with that, that calling is suffering. Every, every, every disciple was either exiled or martyred. <laughs> I mean, that's what the first Christians went through is they died for their faith. And I think sometimes we've been conditioned to say, oh, this is, this is the line that I won't let things cross. And when I encounter difficulty, this is where I need it most. They went that far because that's how far their faith could go. And God knew that. Yeah. And that's okay. So um, let's, let's pivot to your last two, your last two take-homes. I think there's two questions that most people will probably have about this. And one is, uh, you said the church needs to confirm your calling. So how does this confirmation happen? Mm-hmm. Is there a program or something that happens slowly? What does that look like? I mean, I just, mm. I don't think there's a, a specific answer for that. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm, I'm asking. Well, I think at least in, in my experience, there's kind of two versions of that. One is like a very formalized uh, confirmation or affirmation to your calling. And that is when uh, the leadership of your denomination or the, the head of your network of churches surrounds you after they have interviewed you and grilled you. And they ask yes. every theological <laughs> question they can ask. And the reason they do that is to make sure that, that the direction of your faith and theology is consistent with the direction of the network of churches. And so once all of that is done and they put their stamp of approval on you, then they surround you, they lay your hands on you, similar to what is prescribed in the New Testament. And then in a sense, they bless your ministry. Um, and that's one way to affirm it. However, I think there's a more informal affirmation to your purpose and calling uh, that doesn't require uh, a whole denominational team. And that is when, when several people who know you start to compliment you in the same kind of way, that ought to be an indication. This perhaps is one way that God is using me mm. for his purposes. And I think the example I give is, is when, when you have people over to your house and people love being there, mm. you probably have the gift of hospitality. Mm. If you are a person that not only is good at making lots of money, but you're extraordinarily generous when you make that money and people say, thank you so much for how giving you are, that ought to be an indication. Mm. Um, and so I think there's a, that formal way and then an informal way. I think both are valid. And, and, and I think there's some discernment. That goes yeah, I think that, right? there's challenge there too. I'm, okay. Again, I'm just reading Acts 13. Um, it says again, so after more prayer and fasting, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Um, I wonder if the church did that more. Oh. What would happen to our communities? Because I'm just picturing like, like my you mean wife, laying aside my, our no, plans. Well, no, but like, like my, my wife is a stay-at-home mom, and we've decided to home educate our children. So, imagine if there was a group of of people that saw that purpose, saw that calling, laid hands on, and sent her into the home. Or imagine if there was a a man or a woman who's in politics, and we actually prayed and fasted over their calling and then sent them off into, I don't know. I, think I feel it, like I'd be fasting every day. Well, so I know, eventually. but I'm, just, I, I, I'm, just, I'm yeah. just thinking about that. Like that's, that, a, that's a great as idea a, as a church is like, you know, because so many times I could see something and somebody say, man, you are, you are really good at whatever, like keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But when have I ever said like, 
I believe the Lord has called you to that and I'm going to lay hands on you and pray over you in that purpose. Like, I'm not saying and it, it doesn't to be have a to... big formal church-wide thing. Yeah. But just as the church, like we're all the church. Yeah. yeah. If we just embody that more, I think we would have so you're, much you're more exactly power right. going into our, yeah. our, our places. We do that with missionaries. When right. we send them out into the mission field, right. we bring in their whole family on stage and the elders and staff surround them, pray over them, lay their hands on them, yeah. and then they go, right? Yeah. And that might be because we believe that the idea of being sent includes only missionaries going to a foreign country, right? right? But what if we would teach our people, train our people to see their own home yeah. as a place that God might be sending them to accomplish his purposes there in his power. Like right. your wife training your kids and educating right. your kids. She's gonna need Jesus' power to do that, That's right. right? Yeah. But what if it's also to, to, to recognize that you are being sent into the school system. Right. You're being sent into your business in that location exactly. to serve those clients. Um, I love that idea. Yeah. And we ought to talk more about that. We will. But I, that just popped yeah. in my head. So I, I really, I love that because here's, here's what I think sometimes people are waiting for in the church is they're waiting for the church to do something. And it means up front yeah, on yeah, stage. Yeah. And the reality is Jesus has empowered each one of us through the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to do exactly what you just right. said and send people out yeah. and pray for people and discern. I mean, what, I think there would be so much more joy. I'm just picturing this in my mind because as, because every day could be an opportunity to be sent and reminded of your 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 position or your um, your place that he's called you to is just like, I think, it, I don't know. Yeah. You don't know, you do know. This is great. I love that. <laughs> so I, I do have one last question and I, I'd like to kind of close with this because I think this is a discerning process. And you the last thing you said in the sermon was, don't let contrarians steal your confidence in your calling. Mm. Here's something I thought about as I was listening to that. I thought, okay, how do I differentiate? What's the difference between a contrarian and wise counsel telling you no. Mm. Because you mentioned it earlier, even like pursuing one thing and then God said, no, it's gonna be this. And so how, where where's that line? Is there a line or how do we discern that? Is it more prayer? Well, I mean, is there a specific practice we can do to a filter we can put things through? What does that look like? Mm. I, I would, I would. <laughs> That's a hard one, right? It's hard. I would say, like, I think just just kind of spitballing, and this could be way off, but um, I feel like if if somebody is a contrarian, they're they're looking to distract you from your purpose altogether. So they're trying to pull you away from that purpose. A wise counsel would say, like, "Hey, I know God's called you to do this thing, and I don't think this is the best way to do it." They're still pointing you towards your purpose. Um, but I think a contrarian would say, oh, no, don't do that. You, 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 you shouldn't go that way. But they don't remind you of your purpose. So yeah, I, th I agree. I think you have to evaluate the person's motivation. If, if their rationale seems to be selfish, in, in selfish to the extent where they're trying to hold on to you because they feel like that if you are sent, they're going to lose something. Perhaps like a parent says, no, no, no. You can't, you can't go overseas, you know, because then I won't see you for two years, you know? Um, then I think you have to evaluate that. However, I think we have to be careful to recognize wise counsel for what it is when we are tempted to think of it as contrarianism. For example, we've all been in situation where we have interviewed people for a position and they say, you know, I'm called to this kind of position. This is my purpose. And we hopefully discerning the Holy Spirit has said, 
we're not saying that that's not God's purpose for you, but it's not his purpose for you right here and right now because there's some areas of unhealth and dysfunction and perhaps just simple spiritual maturity that needs to happen before you're ready to step into that role. So I think you have to evaluate, like you said, are they being pointed towards that purpose while at the same time they might be saying, you're just not ready for it. Yeah. Or are they saying, you know, you can't do that because I'm going to lose something, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, I think that might be a good evaluation pattern. Yeah, I, I do think that's very good. I think that's a good place to close. Yep. We, Great. We definitely need to talk more about calling at yeah. some point. I think that's something that'll come up this month. And so um, if you're watching and you're watching Church Unscripted and you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you subscribe below. Um, hit the notification bell so you know when the episodes go online. Um, we're excited to be with you this week and looking forward to this series, the Vision Month. Um, we'll see you next week.